0: Hello and welcome to Reclaiming My Theology, a podcast seeking to take our theology back from ideas and systems of press. I am your host, Brandy Miller, and today I'm joined by Latifa Alatas to talk about divorce. Now, as we dig into our theology, it requires us to unpack the culture that surrounds and shapes it. As such, this conversation is actually not meant to break down every scripture around the issue of divorce, because I think that that work around divorce has actually been out there for a while, And that has reputable answers for your kind of verse by verse questions in a way that i don't know that the conversation has happened as much culturally we instead wanted to humanize this issue and make sense of the dynamics in christendom that often lie under the surface and to create more space together for logic and reason and reality to shape a conversation that's often shrouded in vitriol i also wanted to give a quick shout out to our patreon supporters who make all of this possible y'all are the best and i so enjoy the times that we get to interface I also want to thank everyone for your patience over the last few weeks with inconsistent episodes as we've navigated COVID in my house, the chaos of the racial realities in our world, and changes in my own life. So I appreciate you a lot and your patience. And with all of that, know that I appreciate you all and hope you enjoy this conversation with Latifa Alitas. Latifah, thank you so much for your time and for being on here. It's just so lovely to see you. It really, it really is.
1: It really is good to see you too. I, I was so happy that you texted and reached out. It's just, it is just a gift. Well, for folks who don't know you, one of the things
0: that I always have people do before we jump into the content is for, you to, is for folks to get to know you a little bit more. So Latifa, what does yeah. it mean to be you?
1: Oh, wow. Well, right now I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's happening. Um, so I'm actually in, in the midst of learning what it is to have my body expand. And make room, um, not only for somebody else's life, but um, for like my own body's well-being, their well-being. It's so interconnected. It's so crazy. It is not without discomfort or sacrifice. (laughs) Um, But also it's really compelling. Like I feel like I wake up every day and I'm like, whoa, like I'm feeling his elbows and legs and all these things move around inside me, which is so bizarre. And so fantastic. And then I'm also visually watching my body shift, which as we know, as women in Western society, um, people have a lot to say about Mm -hmm. what happens with our bodies, with every age, with every stage, what they should look like, how they should appear. Um, so it's been like really fascinating to like, even like look in the mirror and see like my thoughts run through my brain. Cause Mm I try to practice a lot of self-compassion and a lot of self-love Um, but I still have those days where I'm like, am I getting fat? (laughs) My partner Lucas is like, no, you're getting pregnant. (laughs) And he's like, you're the one that's always told me that like, it's not just your belly getting pregnant. All of you is getting pregnant, you know? And, um, he's, he's a pretty great partner. Um, but so yeah, it's been humbling, like things that I thought like, oh yeah, I've worked through self-image or like any of those things, like, um, to see them kind of circle back. So, that's one way that I'm Latifa right now. Um, the other way are so the things I enjoy doing during the day, which are I produce music, I'm also a mixing engineer, um, an audio engineer, um, and I'm also an artist. So I'm kind of working on, um, I have an artist monocle called Modispira. And I'm working on a few new songs about shadow work, um, about uh, welcoming and embracing and processing, particularly feelings of rage and anger, because that's been a big journey for me the last year and a half. Um, I'm really good at sadness. I'm really good and comfortable with processing sadness. Um, And I have discovered that processing rage is really challenging for me. And some of that is probably just my genetic makeup. And some of it is being a woman of color, um, where we live. There's a lot of ideas about how we're allowed to express emotion without being identified as aggressive or crazy or emotional or out of control. Um, so that's been really fascinating. Um, so I've been doing a lot of work around that and it's been really healing and really helpful, um, and it's it's again making room in my body. You don't realize how much space that shit takes up. Um, so that's been really nice. Um, and then I like exercising. I'm still doing it, which feels good with a bunch of other awesome people outside in a parking lot a few times oh, a week. It's so nice. It is so good. It's all just regular people, you know. It's like teachers and accountants. And like <laughs> it's normal people who just like want to be healthy and like. I really, through COVID, through the pandemic, some of them are the only people I saw for Mm -hmm. a season because we were outside like 15 feet apart and they were the faces that I saw. And so it's been really fun to kind of like get closer with them. Um, And I take care of my sweet dog, Royer. And other than that, Brandy, I just like to spend time with people I love and eat good food and be outside as much as possible. So is
0: so lovely. It's so lovely. Yeah. And that feels like a very yeah. um, well-rounded life. I think that a lot of us, especially Christians, do not know how to do well-rounded, or people who grew up Christian-adjacent, yeah. don't know how to do well-rounded. And so I appreciate that it's like parking lot exercise, and food, and music, and work, yeah. and figuring out what yeah. it means to be pregnant, because God knows that's <laughs> a journey. And so yeah. I just appreciate how that you... that. Even even in the little bit of time that I've known you, which I guess has been a lot longer now than, geez. Uh, yeah, time. That, yeah, that it feels like even your life is more well-rounded and oh. formed in a, in a way that feels I very appreciate you that. right now.
1: I appreciate that very much. Well,
0: well, today we are going to have a um, particular, co- there's, like, there's like two conversations that I've been like, I should probably have them. <laughs> and they're like kind of wild, and they could go anywhere. And those conversations are sure. on divorce and abortion. Because as we talk about patriarchy, yeah. those are conversations yeah. that are so dogma-driven in Christian spaces that just have to happen. And when I was thinking about I who agreed. I wanted to talk to about divorce, and it's going to seem cliche when people kind of understand the context of some of your musical work, too, yes, why sure. I asked you. But, there's, but I'm excited to talk to you about divorce because there's just not a lot of people I would trust to have this conversation with me. And so I just wanted to say thank you firstly for doing that because it it matters to me that you are the person I am talking to
1: Oh, thank you for asking. So many people are afraid to talk about these things. And as I was going through my own divorce, I had like an insatiable appetite to talk about it and to talk about people with people who've been through it, um, with people who've like had that journey. And I realized that growing up in the church, I didn't have a well-rounded, nuanced understanding of why do people get divorced? What does divorce really mean? And what does it mean after you're divorced mm. for you as a human being, you as a person of faith, um, you as a person in community where there's a lot of strong ideas about whether it's okay or not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I still get as your listeners probably don't know, Moda, my last record for Motus Spirit came out in 2019, I believe, or 18, um, in October. And it's an album called Divorce. And, you know, spoiler alert, it's about my divorce. <laughs> and then, um, I actually did an, accompanied podcast to the album. Um, and we walked through the record track by track that really, honestly, it's a deconstruction of grief <laughs> through the vehicle of divorce. Um, and it was something I did a year afterwards um, and was really grateful I did it. You know, I haven't obviously listened to it in a long time. I listened to, I actually just listened to the record for the first time a few months ago, oh, Wow, which was an interesting exercise because um, I'm still like so proud of that music, so good. you know, thank you. Yeah. I, as an artist, I'm like, this is one of the best things I've made so far musically. Um, but, you know, I am now since remarried pregnant um, with my partner's child and my child and I never wanted to get remarried again I was like hell bent on that I announced it to everyone you know like I made the declaration Um, and it wasn't because I was anti marriage there were many other threads why getting married felt really terrifying Um, I also don't think you have to get married to partner somebody I don't think you have to get married to have a great life and the part of me that wanted to like stick it to the man um, about like the patriarchal idea of like happiness is woman married to man with 2.5 kids who stays home um especially in a faith context um i think we're kind of bred that way um i really didn't want to get married to prove a point yeah <laughs> like honestly it's so when lucas asked me i was like oh no i'm so conflicted <laughs> because like <laughs> I, I want to prove a point but i'm like i fucking love this person <laughs> so much and i would totally do this with you like Marriage with you would be so different, you know, to be an amalgamation of so many things I didn't have prior. And I'm glad that I didn't not do something I wanted in order to stick it to the man. But I also realized we'd have to redefine what marriage is yeah. like for us, you know. Um, so that was a little bit of a rabbit trail. But yeah, so yeah, I, I love talking about divorce. I think it's incredibly important, yeah. especially in adjacent to um or in Christian groups. Because even if you didn't grow up in church or in purity culture or any of those things, our culture as Americans um, have been greatly affected. Obviously, our policy is greatly affected by the Christian church as well. And policy affects everybody's lives yeah. in this country. So
0: Totally. And, and some of the things that I think you're bringing up that are really helpful, even frames for this conversation, and one just that Most of us are given a two-dimensional, if not even one-dimensional view of divorce and very little conversation about it. And the conversation for me can be summed up as, don't get divorced because God hates it. And if you do, remarriage is, huh? I don't know. Like if someone like, you know, if there was like a really specific situation, then like maybe do that. And like for men, if they get remarried, we're like really happy for them because they were so sad without their wives. But if women get remarried, then they're like adulterous harlots who, you know, are defying Jesus somehow. So I think that that's kind of the baseline for a lot of us who also were seeing real ass reasons that people need to be getting divorced and not having any kind of like Bible principles to engage with that. So I think many yeah. of us have rejected some of those ideas outright or been like intuitively I know that this yeah. isn't this isn't it, but yeah. I don't have a framework to engage other than anti-patriarchy, which is a good frame. But I'm yeah. hearing that in what you're saying where you're like, okay, well it's either it's all marriage or Or it's no marriage at all and the whole thing is a distinctly terrible institution and like legal benefits be damned like let's just get rid of all of the things and so like we lose all of our ability to think about the complications of marriage in the name of being anti-patriarchy which then actually leads us to a bunch of like i think it can lead us into homophobic territory and even more patriarchal territory because in the rejection of patriarchy we lose all of the benefits as marginalized people that could come from thinking about marriage differently. And so I think you're just naming some frames that are very helpful.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's actually one of the reasons I was like, I'm okay with getting married to somebody I deeply trust and respect and have an actual egalitarian uh, equal partnership for people who maybe aren't familiar with that term where we have share equal power. Like nobody holds power over the other. Um, and I deeply believe in the rights for all people to get married Um, And I deeply care about the queer community. And so, I mean, with everything that's going on now with policy that's sweeping through the country, it's enraging me and making me so angry that we're trying to reverse things. Um, I mean, in Tennessee, they're trying to reverse that couples, gay couples who've gotten married, it would nullify their marriage. It's not even like they're grandfathered in. Nope. You know? And which is like, ugh. Um, so, yeah, I obviously still believe in marriage because like people should have rights in hospital rooms or legally or financially if something happens with their partners that they love and have lived life with, you know? Yeah. And it is even kind of weird that we like create a legal system around the idea of marriage, but that's like a whole other conversation that's also connected to patriarchy. But um, not necessarily on the topic of divorce. Well,
0: but but can we give like a little bit of a frame on that? Because I think that the place Please. where for me, it, it does start to dovetail with divorce really significantly is that yeah. when I was growing up, there was this like commitment versus covenant or like marriage versus a covenant. And yes. right. We have all these like Hebrew scriptures that are talking about marriage as a covenant, but we start to, but Christians love to take like, Jewish covenantal language in that which really in like its most literal term is like in agreement with stipulations and to separate that into two things where it's like this commitment without condition versus like a legal commitment and I think because a lot of Christians read the Hebrew scriptures in this kind of uh, in this historical space and read it as this like covenant like God's just like gluing people together forever into eternity (laughs) Instead of being like, no, this is a legal contract that is happening, because we superimpose yeah. those together, I think Christians see divorce as this like defilement against God, God's self. And then we read, you know, Jeremiah, who where it's like, I, your God, hate divorce, and it's like, yeah, but God's talking about like a really specific thing. And all of that gets then lobbed onto Jesus when Jesus starts talking about divorce. And so I think yeah. Christians' view of marriage as either fully legal or fully spiritual and making that all like
1: abstracted in the covenantal language makes the divorce stuff far more complicated for me. That is a really insightful way to frame it. I actually haven't thought of it that way, but it makes perfect sense. Like I, I grew up with the language, God hates divorce in the church. Um, You know, I, I grew up with the idea that, you know, you save yourself for your husband, You know, that women can only marry men and men marry women. Ideally, you're both virgins, right? This was just everything. I mean, there was this sort of like expectation that men would be more sexually promiscuous and somehow that would be allowed and okay. But the woman must remain completely virginal and like unstained, if you will. Like you don't want to be that chewed up piece of gum for those people who got that metaphor in junior high youth group. Like they took out the stick of gum and they said, this is you and this is your sexual purity. And when you have sex with someone before marriage and they chew it up (laughs) and then they spit it out and then they say, you'll never be a whole stick of gum again and who's gonna want to chew up piece of gum you're also like literally isn't
0: the only point of gum to chew it like isn't is that not the yeah. entire point of gum yeah. <laughs> also
1: you're like 12 years old and you're like you're like I don't want to be a chewed up piece of gum it's just so much coercion um but um so I didn't want to be the quote-unquote chewed up piece of gum I wanted to do all the right things you know what I mean and I I saved myself for marriage I like even like was incredibly stringent around like what we could do physically with intimacy before marriage. I was afraid to mess up or do the wrong things. I, it really came from an earnest desire of like, I want to be good, quote unquote. And the only way I understood good was the way it was laid out for me by people in the church. And so like, I checked all those boxes, Brandy, I did it, you know, and I married someone who I thought also checked all those boxes And I was 27. I wasn't 21 or, like, 19. No judgment for people who are still happy and got married that young. Um, And we got married. And if I'm so frank, like, a year in, I knew that we were a bad match. Mm. I was like, oh, no. Like, and we dated three years prior. We were in a band together. We toured. I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't around him, but, like, He, you know, I think I naively thought some things would change and grow as we do as women and as men who love people and see the best in them. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I realized we were growing it in different ways, in different directions and our care and focus of what we wanted to kind of devote our life around was different. And, um, I don't want to speak to his journey because he's not here. Um, but I really cared about like doing something in the world that felt like it was continuing to connect me to my neighbor and to the divine and to the planet. And like you can put any job into that category, honestly, as far as I'm concerned. But like if the heartbeat behind the intention behind what you're doing is connection versus disconnection, your life looks different if your life is more about disconnection or doing things totally on your own or, you know, anything like that. And so I wasn't necessarily super concerned about like, I need to make a ton of money or I need to be incredibly famous or like, I just wanted to feel less alone. I wanted other people to feel less alone. Mm. And that's still how I feel, you know? And so the tenets of like the Holy Spirit, like the fruit of the spirit, which is like, you know, generosity, kindness, patience, self-control, all those things. Those, and that's still the thing that like, I have a lot of sensitivity around Christianity, like now with like all the things I've been through, but the fruit of the spirit is something I can still totally get down with. Like, (laughs) let's be good to one another. Let's be good to ourselves, you know? And so, um, yeah, it just, it got really hard and we were married nine years and all those years were really challenging. And I, spent a lot of those years feeling incredibly trapped but so committed to the covenant like you were talking about to the duty of what my job was and i wanted to be a quote unquote good woman of faith or a p31 woman which is like proverbs mm-hmm. 31 and in the bible for those people who aren't familiar it's like the the passage in the bible that talks about what a godly woman looks like you know and we kind of get inundated with that and I just wanted to do the right thing on top of that. If I may be really honest, I was leading a lot of music in churches predominantly for my job. I wasn't technically employed by a singular church, but I was playing music for church communities and my job fed other people's jobs as well. And so I had to think about not just sustaining myself financially, but people I cared about around me. And so I also had the financial security tether, um, And then the majority of my community was all in the church. And so you start asking yourself, like, if I leave my husband and he hasn't hit me or cheated on me, which was what I was kind of told growing up were the two reasons you'd have permission that, like, God still doesn't love it, but it's like sort of your, like, get out of jail free card, right? It's not ideal, but, like, if you have to, like, these are the two reasons. And that definition of abuse um, is so problematic because there is a lot that happens between happy, healthy, nurtured connectivity with a partner and my partner is now hitting me and physically abusing me. It usually doesn't go from one to 10. Yeah. There are a lot of numbers in between there. And there is a lot of different forms of abuse. There's emotional abuse or sexual abuse, psychological abuse, spiritual abuse. And a lot of times there's a lot of those things at play in unhealthy partnerships and dysfunctional connections. Yeah. And a lot of those things were happening in my marriage. My ex-husband never hit me physically. So I always want to be so clear about that. Um, But there was definitely, we had very dysfunctional ways of relating to each other. And, you know, one of the things in my journey five years out now has been like, why did I stay so long? You know, I am an intelligent, strong ass woman. And I care deeply about like what is good and true And I continued to put my body and myself in situations where my body was clearly saying no. Um, And it was screaming at me in the form eventually of like getting sick and inflammation. And I mean, our bodies tell us the truth. They communicate with us. It's such an amazing design. Um, They have all these alerts to tell us like, hey, 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 you don't feel safe. Or hey, 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 I feel bad. Or pay attention to me. And I just kept bypassing those things because of my faith, because of my spirituality. And that brings us to spiritual bypassing, which I think is a sort of an amazing tool that people will use um, to keep you submissive to what they want from you. They'll say, well, well, like, it doesn't really matter what's going on with you. They're not asking about that. They're like, what does God want? And so what they're telling you is, can you override your experience? Can you ignore what your body is telling you? Can you ignore your situation and just go with this idea that I have told you is good and true? So the idea is God hates divorce. You don't want to get divorced Latifa. And I spent years in a situation and a dynamic that I have spent thousands and thousands of dollars in therapy. I've done plant medicine journeys. I have done, um, body therapy. I have done all these things that have all helped me like giving me pieces of the puzzle to heal from something that was unnecessary suffering and we're all going to suffer like that's coming for everybody. It's part of the human experience. Um, but I would love to get more wisdom in my life so that I can at least avoid the suffering that's unnecessary. Um, because I, I rather have my coffers full of energy for the suffering that will come, you know, yeah, like necessarily <laughs> be a part yeah. of things that are
0: useless.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like I, I stayed, I stayed because I also was afraid of being rejected by the community. Yeah. And that was in some ways an unfair assessment on my close friends, but unfortunately a pretty accurate assessment on the broader Christian community. Um, uh, they have a lot of opinions about women who get divorced and who are unashamed about getting divorced. And so when um, I decided that it was time to get divorced from my ex-husband, I had found out that he had been having multiple affairs. And the truth is I found the evidence and my first feeling was relief. And that means something. Like that is something to pay attention to. I literally felt like I picked that card up in Monopoly that said, pass, go and collect $200 and yeah. get out of jail free. And I was like, wow, that is fascinating and deeply troubling. You're like, <laughs> you're like uh-oh, this is telling me something <laughs>
0: yeah, really exactly. significant right now. And that's after yeah, nine years. That is a long time. Yeah,
1: Yeah. well, eight, because the nine was technically at the end of the divorce, just to be accurate. But um, I... I, I mean, I'll say I'm going to say these things now because I think some of these things I safeguarded in the podcast because I didn't want to like like slander my ex-husband in any way. But I also think it's important for the experience for anybody who might be listening that might be in a situation where they're feeling really caught. Um, I uh, used to have thoughts occasionally like I wish he would hit me or I wish he would push me down the stairs or. Some, or I wish one of us would die because maybe that's the only way to get out of it and that was not me like premeditating any sure. plans to force a death for myself or for him but it was like well that's another out as one of us just dies like yes. me or him and then we're not in this covenant Oof. anymore like if you if you are someone that's listening and you have thoughts like that like please pay attention to that and please find someone to talk to that you know is really safe and doesn't have a judgment on whether you leave your spouse or not. Um, Because that means that like there is something going on that needs to be addressed, that you are not feeling safe um, inside your own home. And um, that's an extreme thought, you know. And so, uh, and I like was in and out of therapy all of those years. It's not like therapy or counseling was new to me you know, and I was putting on a really good front. Like we were growing and getting healthy. And sometimes I think maybe I, I drank my own potion. You know what I mean? Like that I was making, but the truth is it just, it wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. And, um, so it does, I will say like, it does say something about the broader community that people who are experiencing, different forms and different kinds of abuse their first fear is that they'll be rejected by the community if they put their safety first
0: which makes so much sense to me with the rhetoric that we've been given around divorce which is if someone hitting you or someone cheating on you are the only reasons to get divorced then like of course like even as you're talking about like I like, was like, well, maybe one of us will die if death, violence, yeah. and infidelity are like the only ways out. What does that tell you about how God views, like com- how God, how compassionate God is in the midst of all of that? And for me, it's, it's because exactly that right. frame of divorce is so centralized in patriarchy that it is about men's agency. And again, we'll talk in binaries because it's just for the sake of yeah. this, the text, how the text engages with patriarchy. I, this is not how I think about it in general, but... We'll name yeah. the binaries for that, but it's a man does this thing, therefore the woman in the situation bears the consequence of that. And I think as you as you're talking, I hear that word consequence kind of in my mind because even like the purity culture stuff, where I'm like, don't have sex till so you're married, do all this stuff. It's it, the kind of frame is because if you do that, you'll have a healthy and good marriage, and if you check all the boxes, it makes it less likely that you'll get divorced. And no, well, no one's really saying like. No one's saying that explicitly. What they are saying explicitly is you'll have a better marriage and a better marriage does imply not being divorced. And so I think what ends up happening is that divorce is used as a looming future consequence for not doing the kind of purity culture, Christian evangelical relational stuff now. But then divorce itself carries all of these consequences that are never talked about because it's always used as a threat. And so The community was only taught to think about divorce as something that we should punish and avoid rather than a space that we need to enter into with compassion and kindness. And that maintains so much male power because it says that you get to define both the terms of how we live before we're married and how we are or are not married afterward. And that those institutions being in the hands of men also makes it so that the culture itself is being shaped and perpetuated for the well-being of men and then a lot of us just play the game because it is considered a moral issue rather than a legal or functional or socially constructed issue that we're engaging with.
1: Yeah. I mean, the other thing to think about in regards to infidelity, you know, whether it's the male or female partner, if we're talking about the binary marriage, like um of of being married, um, when somebody is cheating on somebody else and not communicating with their other partner that they're doing that, they are inherently exposing risk to their partner's bodies for all different kinds of STDs or STIs. Is what they call them STDs when I was growing yeah. up. They're STIs. <laughs> Back now. in our day. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Um, so like I had to learn about STIs as a woman in her mid thirties and I had to get tested for six months for things that I thought that I was safe from, yeah. you know, and that's terrifying, yeah. you know, and that's outside of the psychosomatic pain that can also come Um, As you're going through that process, which is real pain connected to emotional ties and traumas in your body. Um, So like we're not considering the other person and the risk we're asking for them. Like when they're like, oh, well, you have to take them back. Or was it just once? Or like I've talked to so many people now because of the content I've put out who have gone through divorce or and are going through divorce. And some of their stories, Brandy, are heart wrenching. Mm. And I've definitely spoken to men, but the majority of people I am speaking to are women who have, you know, said, Oh, I went to my pastor or I went to the elders or, and they basically told me it was my duty to forgive yeah. or how many times did it happen or how bad really was it? You know? And then as are gaslighting, these poor human beings trying to convince them that what's happening to them is, is not that bad. Quote unquote. Yeah. And like, that is so crazy making. And that goes back to the message of don't trust yourself. Don't trust your own experience. Trust what I'm telling you. Trust what I'm telling you God is saying because I am the megaphone which God speaks Mm. through to you because I, and this brings it back to patriarchy, I'm somehow more ordained to receive and hear the truth of God. And so you should trust what I'm telling you, even though I don't live daily life with you. I couldn't tell you your middle name. I can't tell you how many kids you do or do not have or what you do for a job. But somehow I'm going to speak into the most intimate parts of your life and your safety. That's wild. Yes,
0: and I think it goes into this kind of patriarchal interpretation of the word shepherd that a lot of Christian leaders mm. use, which is like, you know, men shepherd their families, but, you know, pastors shepherd the church. And so yeah. if I believe that my parishioners, my congregants, the people that I lead are unqualified to hear the voice of God for themselves or to interpret what's happening, I have to exert my own authority and my own hierarchical capacity to say, well, I know that you're experiencing it, but I have divine wisdom. And so your experience always gets overridden by my divine wisdom, keeping people in terrible marriages, and then also getting to create the narrative about people after they're divorced across genders.
1: Yes. And this is why the system of patriarchy is so dangerous, because we completely rob nuance from every scenario. And the overriding is what you're talking about, right? Like that somehow this system overrides all the individual experiences. And like, you know, I know couples who have experienced infidelity or experienced pain or dysfunction in their marriage. And at the end of the day, they've really decided we really love each other. And we want to fight for our partnership for whatever the reasons are. And I have rarely but have seen a couple couples come through that process better and stronger. And it had more to do with they were both going through their own dysfunction, needed personal healing. And then they were able to do the work of actual healing of the relationship. Like there's a lot of healing of self before you can heal a partnership or a relationship that has to come first on both both sides. And so that can happen, but it's really rare. Yes. And like I just think that like the truth is when I realized when I realized my ex was having affairs And I felt so relieved and I knew immediately what I wanted to do. You know, it wasn't actually the first time I had tried leaving, to be honest, too. I tried leaving a couple of times prior. On average, women um, or partners who are experiencing forms of abuse in a relationship, it takes them seven times before they're able to actually leave. Um, And so like I... I laid it down and I remember I went to my friend's house. And, you know, keep in mind the majority of my friends are either connected to church work, in church work, in ministry type work, or work with Christians in those spaces. And I will say, everybody in my community was more afraid that I wouldn't get divorced. Hmm. They were more afraid that I would stay. And that says something to the personal relationship like we're talking about. Like, I love you. I'm in life with you. I have witnessed how challenging this partnership is. Um, it was the people that didn't know me as well that had a differing opinion about what I should do. Shocker, shocker, yeah. right? So I don't want to like use the broad brush that like every pastor told me I shouldn't get divorced. I definitely had pastors that were like, change their viewpoint on divorce because of their connection to me yeah. personally. Because And that's like what happens, right? Like theology usually doesn't move. Unless we're compelled to move. And the only really compelling things that have people change or shift the theological spiritual tenets or pylons or ideas is either their own personal story, their love for themselves or their deep love for somebody that they're deeply connected to. So like I changed my viewpoint on being queer affirming when my best friend came out to me at 19. Yep. I was like, there's nothing wrong with who you are or how you're designed. Like you're awesome. And I want you to have partnership and love. I wouldn't want you to uh, not have that. You deserve that, you know? And that was over the course of us, like reading all the books and, you know, people trying to pray gay away for a while and doing all the things. And I was like, there's just nothing wrong with you. Like, I love, I love who you are. Um, and so like, yeah, I never, I don't think I ever would have judged somebody for getting divorced, um, before I had my divorce. But I think also, and this is like a real honest statement. I was so unhappy in my marriage. There was a part of me that I think deep down had jealousy when people got divorced. And so my judgment came out in the form of, well, they just don't know how to stick it out Mm -hmm. or like, right. Unless, unless it was like the extenuating quote unquote circumstances we've talked about prior. Um, And that came out rooted out of my own jealousy and unhappiness and my own stuckness. And that is one way that I've, been able to exercise compassion um, on people who have strong judgments on the choices I've made in my life is that listen, there's probably a lot at stake for you which is why you care about this so much either personally, you're in a scenario where you feel stuck or you're dealing with the whole problem and reality of if I change my viewpoint, I'm going to go to hell which is like another tool that We used to, quote unquote, keep people in line with the patriarchal systematic idea of how God works and how God loves people and how we're supposed to be obedient and behave yes. and the order in which we should do those things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm so glad I, I had no shame about getting divorced when it was happening. And I think it was because I was experiencing so much relief. I felt really emotionally safe in my house again. Um, to just be in my own space and not have to like manage landmines or manage tiptoeing around things. I didn't know what happened or not. Like I finally had rest. Um, I had a lot of grief in front of me and my, I don't mean this as disrespect to my ex-husband, but like, it wasn't like I lost the love of my life. I was, I was grieving losing 12 years of my life, the time. Yes. And like, um, he wasn't all bad. I should, I should be really frank. Um, it's not like it started out bad or we wouldn't have gotten married. Um, you know, I have a chance now to like continue to center my life around the things that I believe are good and true. I have a better chance of being a better human because I'm not completely drained by trying to maintain a sinking ship. Yes.
0: When I hear two kind of, I hear like, a. A, co- a broader concept and a principle in a, a broader concept and a specific principle the broader yeah. concept I'm hearing in some of what you're talking about is that theology and abstraction is violence that when our theology is divorced from our own bodies or people yeah. around us it results in violence rejection yes. and the inability to look beyond the essentialized version of what we think something should be and divorce is a confusing one to be essentialized anyways because the Bible talks very little about it. When Jesus yeah. is asked about it, he kind of pivots around the question when they're like, they're asking like a Hillel Shemai question, like, how do you interpret <laughs> divorce? And he's like, eh, y- y'all, Moses gave you this because you were hard-hearted, you know, like. He's and, like, wrong question. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I don't, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to answer that, you know, and so I think there's ways that we, yeah. we essentialize theology and thus make it God more than God. And so I think that when yeah. we do that, when we essentialize theology, we create violent ideologies. And yeah. as I hear you talking about the kind of specificity of divorce, one of the things that comes to mind is just that the way that I see divorce framed in the church as like is as though it doesn't happen. As though, yeah. or if it is happening, that it's someone like way out there, way far away, and they're like majorly, yeah. majorly the exception, which is super bonkers because you know the divorce rate in the U.S. continues to rise, like one to two percent every year. It's like or over the yeah. last chunk of years,
1: COVID really like threw it up there. Which I think has, yeah.
0: I, I have some thoughts about that. But there's yeah. like there, there's a way that the Christian divorce rate is the same, if not slightly higher, than the average population. Ironically, queer rates of divorce are much lower than anybody else's, and the church doesn't have a lot to say about that. So you know you <laughs> yeah. can, we can Surprise. we can draw those threads pretty clearly to <laughs> yeah. what those what's happening there. But I think when the church keeps divorce as a concept that is so far out there, that's like only those types of people or only like the people who give up or the people who like didn't do the things when they do it. It's like, well, yeah, but that's like a far exception. And here's the rule. And I'm like, the rule of our culture really is. It's toss up. And and I'm not saying that that's like the thing that we should frame our lives and marriages around. But I think it is a way of saying.
1: There's luck involved. Yeah.
0: For many people who are in marriages. Yep. Right now, we have to unlearn some of the ideologies that say, like, I am bad, I am the exception, yep. I am the one breaking a covenant that God witnessed at the altar. Like, all yep. of that language, I think, can have some level of value, but when it's used and weaponized as a tool to keep people in abusive marriages, to keep people in yeah. spaces, because I think there is a form of abuse that is time-wasting, that is, like you're saying, you, you grieving 12 years of your life. I think a yeah. lot of people spend like multiple decades trying to make something work in the name of dogma and essentializing. <sighs> and that violence to me is one of the greatest forms of violence because there's so many things in our lives we can get back, like money or profession yeah. or inspiration, you know, but like time is the one thing we will never get back. And so I think one of the greatest yeah. violences we can do to people is wasting or manipulating or co- coercing their time. And I think the church in our rhetoric around divorce sets up a a field of play for pastors to ruin people's lives and waste their time through keeping people in marriages that are violent, which I think goes to the COVID stuff that you're talking about, where Mm -hmm. I've seen probably five of my friends, almost all women of color married to white dudes, um, ironically, um, who once they were trapped in their house with their partners were like, oh, this is even less, it was like untenable before, but now Mm the, 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 The dial has been increased. The volume has increased on this. The intensity has been magnified. And now I know the things that I knew before, but because I'm so close to it, the pain is becoming more and more real and unbearable, which is hard because it means I'm like, okay, well, in what ways were you emotionally and functionally distant from yourself, from your home and from people around you that this kind of proximity revealed this? And so I've walked a lot of people through divorces in this season who have been dealing with all of the stuff that you're talking about.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I would not have been able to survive COVID in my my first marriage. You know, my, my current husband, my partner, we lived together for two years before we got married, and we lived through COVID. I'm so glad we did that. Like, I am so glad that we did all the things because I needed that information to know. I needed that information. I'm sorry. I'm not at the point anymore where I can just blindly trust that things will work out. I love information and my brain works that way and it's good and it's curious and it likes evidence too. And I like the mystical woo woo stuff as well. But like when it comes to the rest of my life, don't waste my time. You know, like I want to, I want to live life. I want to have the wells of joy and grief and laughter and tears i, I want the expansive human experience mm-hmm. and i i want to help other people do that for themselves too and so don't waste my time it's mean, you know so
0: because i think a part yeah. of patriarchy
1: allows men to waste people's times
0: like one of it's the things exactly I, right. I do these trainings for students and for like young adults who are in ministry on how to preach or how to teach the bible. Yeah. And one of the first things I say is like time is the one thing people will never get back. Don't waste it. Think about a sermon that you have think about the average sermon that you've heard. Was it a white guy for the most part up there talking for like almost a whole hour every week? Yes. Yes. About things that he clearly didn't prepare for or that like really mean a lot to him but don't really mean a lot to anybody else? And I'm just like, oh, there's a culture in the church where men get to waste people's time at the pulpit every single week. And while we might not be like, "Mm, that was a waste of time, I think a lot of the time we'll be like, well, it wasn't great, but it wasn't like the worst. And you know, I went to church and the function of church matters more than the time that's like actually spent there. And I think that that sets up a worldview and a view of men in marriage that says like, well, men are just gonna like find their way. They're gonna get better. Like if you wait long enough, Like, he's going to come around because, like, God's going to redeem or, like, God's going to grow him up or, like, he's going to have to grow up someday. And I'm like, what you're doing is you're training people to, like, you're training particularly heterosexual women to be moms to their husbands and to wait for them to grow up. And then when they're like, I don't want to mom my partner, being like, well, you are the sinful one for wanting to get divorced. And so I think that kind of concept of time wasting feels really potent. And and I think I, I can, I think I can sound like irreverent around like marriage and divorce, which I'm not. I don't hear that. But I think that there's just so many, for me, part of it is just that there's this, if the only messages we have ever heard have been like, marriage is the ultimate good that God is using to redeem and save the world, which is like a <laughs> real theology. And yeah. like, you can only get divorced if something is completely unresolvable and yeah. you your time is not your own. Your body's not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong. Your body belongs to each other. Like all of that theology.
1: We have to talk about consent. Yes. Gets thrown
0: in. And so I just feel like all of these kind of important concepts gets ripped out when we start to talk about marriage and divorce. And so I just want us to have alternate conversations. So I don't want to sound like, Ooh, marriage sucks. I hate marriage. Like I'm never going to do, you know, like, I don't know, know.
1: but I'm not. And I don't, I I think your life can be fruitful and beautiful and full and with family. Like, in all different kinds of forms of family. You know what I mean? Like I, I still feel this way, but like my, my vision for myself was like, well, I'll stop traveling by in 50 and I'll adopt queer teenagers because they have nowhere to go statistically out of foster care. Um, and that'll be my family. You know what I mean? And that's why I got the size house I got when I moved to Nashville's. Cause I was like, well, in 10 years, I'm going to be doing this, you know? And now we have this little one on the way, but like, I still want to open my home to people that don't have spaces to be, you know what I mean? And who are alienated and like, there's all different ways to have family. And I think that like we have, I talk about this a lot. Uh, I'm on this other podcast called fun parts. That's about sexuality and spirituality. And we talk a lot about the center of the circle, which is like the very middle of the circle, which, which patriarchal patriarchal systematic theology with Christianity, there's a big payoff for people in the center of the circle. And those are for people that just by happenstance happen to grow up white and straight and they end up finding partners, probably at a young age, that they actually, by the luck of the draw, just really get along with. They really like each other. I, I know a couple couples like this where like they got married at like 20 and 21 and they're still crazy about each other and they're kind and they had three kids, both of them actually, and like... You know, their kids are all over the map, and they love them, and like, um, and so, like they're just at the center of the circle, so there was like oh, and the women's, you know, stayed home for the major part, you know, or had jobs that weren't as prominent, quote unquote as the the man's job. um, some of these things have shifted now in time, but it just worked out for them, yeah. that theology paid off. They were never pushed to the edges because of a circumstance. I was born on the edge, yeah, you know. I'm half brown, half white. um I'm incredibly uh, I care deeply about being vocal about things I care about. I'm an extrovert. Um, I have dreams that I want to accomplish, and I don't feel afraid to go for them, you know. And I'm just on the edge. And then I got divorced mm-hmm. and and so then I'm further on the edge. And then I'm like, You know, like I always like say, you know, I I think everybody is on the spectrum of sexuality and attraction. And I definitely ask myself, like, could I love women after my husband and I divorced? Because I was like, I would be open to that maybe, you know, but then I just like never came across a woman that I like wanted to try anything with. And so, so I say, I'm like, maybe I'm like 10% curious or like, I mean, I don't know if you can like put a percentage (laughs) on it. And sometimes I think it also, I think those things can shift at different points in your life. I mean, women's hormones change every seven years. Right. Like I know people who don't identify as gay, but have a same sex partner because they love the soul, you know? And like they're, and they really love each other. You know what I mean? They've been together 10 years. Like there's no question. And it's a beautiful partnership. And like, so like, I just think there is so much more room for how we identify in different parts of our life. Um, but the the deep question is, like, are you being honest with yourself? Are you being honest with those around you? Are you being kind to yourself? Are you being kind with those around you? Transparency is, to me, like, one of the centerpieces of knowing if, like, we're doing the best we can. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, like, I just think that, like, gosh, there's so much at stake for people. Mm-hmm. There's so much at stake. And there are so few people that fit in the center of the circle. Yeah. And so what happens is anybody who's 10% out the circle, 20% out the circle, in the ether in outer space, wherever they mm-hmm. exist, they spend their life feeling ashamed for things about how they're designed innately, which is good and beautiful, and they feel self-loathing, mm-hmm. and they feel um, indignant towards themselves, and they are constantly trying to make themselves fit in a place where they were never meant to fit in a good way. And instead of being like in a good way, we've told people, oh, well, you should really change that thing about yourself because I'm in the center of the circle and how you are makes me uncomfortable, you know, and like, oh, that makes me so sad, you know, like, it's just not necessary. It's it's unnecessary suffering like it's like. Brandy, what if like from the moment you were born, you could be exactly who you were and you didn't have to feel weird about the texture of your hair yeah. or the shape of your face or the weights you love to lift or the way your brain works and the way you love to communicate with those around you and the power. I mean, I've I've been around you and you've like been able to teach a group of people and you speak with so much authority and power and a non-threatening um, non-aggressive because to me aggressive means I'm using my power to make you feel mm-hmm. small Yeah, it's not I'm using my power to enhance what I'm communicating or to enhance my passion or what I care about it's I'm using it to make you feel small you don't have yeah. any iota of that around you yeah. do you know what I'm saying and it's like what if we could just like witness people everybody like you know this is a, a big conversation in the white black conversation where you have White people will say, like, well, I don't want black people to have power because they might try to take my power away from me. And then the black community is saying, like, I don't want to take anything from you. I just want to be equal. Like, I just want to have the same rights. I just want to have, like, the same ability to move freely in society and not be worried about my safety or my opportunity. You know, like, it's not love isn't a pie. There's not just eight fucking pieces (laughs) like It is an ending source. Do you know what I'm saying? And so it's like, what if we weren't threatened by each other's power and goodness and by each other's weaknesses, right? Like all of it. Like, what if we could actually just expand and embrace, you know? And like, I just like, girl, I'm just tired (laughs) like... People who cannot embrace like I'm like and I I send them with peace and love and I'm like, you're on your journey and whatever. But also like like, you know, I don't need to educate you why the heel of your boot is on my neck anymore. It's it's I need a break. I need to recover. And like and that's not meant with even like disdain. You know, it's 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 boundaries. It's self-love. It's self-care. It's safeguarding my energy. And like. I just, like, I just want people to be able to be who they are and to not hate themselves. Because when we hate ourselves, we usually treat other people poorly around us.
0: Yeah. And it it feels like that kind of invitation to a broader picture of family does, and, like, acceptance and belonging undercut some of the... Because, like, right, divorce is a thing that people do like it's a part of people's lives but it's a, it's also a tool and a weapon that is wielded by institutions to threaten people's yep. well-being and so I'm hearing I think there's a threat to the kind of weaponized version of it that says like we can actually build families and spaces of belonging however we need them to be and I think um this is so just nerdy so just please I always hear like Christians referencing the passage where Moses right like the The Israelites have sinned a bunch and are getting bitten by, and like God's like, I'm gonna send a bunch of snakes to bite you. And Moses is like, "Ah, No, like, probably not, probably not that. And God's like, Okay, fine. Like, it's all, we can do so much interpretation around it. I think it's a a really interesting passage, but for the sake of this, in four ways that I've heard, this is how I heard this passage used in some ways, not quite this explicitly, but I'm just, you know, summarizing. I hear this passage of Moses used where, you know, the snakes show up and, God's like, okay, you can put us like an image of a snake on a stick and then raise it up. And anyone who looks at the stick will be like the snake will be healed. And I think that oftentimes what white patriarchal men in the church do is they make the snake white heterosexual relationships that stay married forever. And so these exceptions that you're talking about. These, like, people who've been married for 40 years, who married after they knew each other for six weeks, who have kids and, like, are living kind of, like, lovely lives. That becomes, like, the snake that everyone is supposed to look at. And that we're all taught that we need to turn our heads up and look. And if we stare long enough at it, we're going to be healed from everything that makes us not that thing, whether it is queerness or it is, like, the inability to stay in a marriage or whether it is, like, our sinfulness that makes us relationally terrible or whatever right. thing or even like for people for their singleness like I think it's it says like if you exactly right at this image long enough yep. then you're going to be healed that you're going to be saved that you're going to belong that you will like literally in the yep. in the passages like you won't die and I think that the yeah. threat of death like is a huge part of how we talk about yeah. divorce when we connect it entirely to sin when we connect it entirely to disconnection from god that god hates these things yeah. and when we talk about god hating we're always talking about sin and when we're talking about sin in evangelical space at least we're talking about hell and so the yeah. line from i am not this heteronormative patriarchal married nuclear family leads to this point of like well i'm going to hell so of course one would resent oneself for forcing themselves yes. to a place of eternal torment and torture yes. if, like, hell is a thing that you believe in. And so I think that that yeah. all the stuff that you're saying makes a lot of sense because it, it creates that kind of contrast that I see happening yeah. or how I've seen a lot of evangelicals try to use that text. Like, if you just look at Jesus, you'll be healed. I'm like, okay, well, that's not what that's talking about. That's, like, a pretty anti-Semitic view because, right, you're imposing Jesus onto a thing that's right. not the thing. but. I think I just hear that kind of, well, if you just stare long enough at the good thing, then you're not going to be the bad thing. And that those binaries, that kind of morality, policing, all creates context of harm for people.
1: Well, and it creates a homogenous community, Mm -hmm. which is really boring.
0: And creates more threat (laughs) for anyone who isn't part of that homogenous. The more homogenous your community becomes, the more threatening any kind of outside force to that homogeneity is. And so if you have That's a bunch of divorced right. people in your church, I've literally heard this before, like in churches, like if she gets divorced or if people start getting divorced, then like, where's it going to stop? And I'm like, it, the slippery yeah, slope. I'm like, <laughs> it tells me so much that you have so little faith in your, in the men in your church specifically, that you believe that the women in your church have so much power to dismantle the entire operation. And I'm like, if your men weren't problematic or if, you didn't force people into marriage when they were 20 so that they could have sex. So you wouldn't feel like they were doing like the worst thing they could possibly do. Like, right. Right. Maybe they wouldn't, maybe this wouldn't be an issue. And so instead of looking inwardly at like the issues that create yeah. a ripe field of divorce chaos, yeah. we ask like, well, what's wrong with those people? And instead yeah. of pointing the finger, you know, we just point the finger outward over and over again.
1: I just, I mean, I'm going to say this. I just don't think that all relationships are meant to last a lifetime. I just don't like, even when I look at my friendships, I've had some friendships that I've had. I have one friend that I've had since I was two years old. And I've had, a, I have a, quite a few friends I've had over 20 years. Like we just had our baby shower in Colorado, which is where I lived in my first marriage. And I lived there for almost 20 years and it was so good to be with them. Like there's all this history and like life lived together. But like, there's also a lot of friends I had for 10 years. Yeah. And it wasn't like we had a falling out it was just like life took us different directions it was totally okay like and when i see them or interface with them randomly it's so good to catch up or like there's not all these like hard feelings like if i thought every relationship bond was meant to be for eternity like it just i wouldn't have any time it's to do anything it's so exhausting. and i just i personally don't prescribe to like the theory that like every love and intimate relationship is meant to be together. And I also like, I have different viewpoints of vastly different viewpoints of sex and intimacy now, um, which is another conversation for another day, which would be fun. But like, um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I told Lucas when we were getting married, I said, if you treat me poorly for a long period of time, I will leave you. Yeah. I am not going to promise you that there is no circumstance on earth for which I will never leave you. Like, because I promised to care for myself as part of our promise to each other. And um, he promised in his vows to care for himself as part of his promise to me. And like we have said, we will always be honest. And like, do I hope that we can like have a great partnership together that lasts like a healthy long time? Absolutely. Do I have any plans? Like, Honestly, I am like deeply in love with somebody for the first time in my life. Mm -hmm. Like I, I didn't know if I would experience that. And I'm so thrilled to like get to have this, this human experience of like deeply falling in love. But like, I don't believe in soulmates. I believe there's a lot of people that I, you know, energetically hum with and we just make sense. And like, you know what I mean? Like, that's like when, even when I met you, I was like, oh, we have a friend hum, like, we're like somehow humming at the same frequency and there's something about you where I'm like, Oh yeah, I feel like safe with you. And I feel like there's something about the way we're relating that feels familiar and, and cool and like, and good, you know what I mean? And so it's like, and then some people you meet and you're like, huh, I wish you well, but like there's <laughs> nothing coming between us. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, it's not everybody, but like, um, yeah, like, man, I, I hope that I get to live Lucas the rest of my life. And I hope that he loves me the rest of his, because if we're doing it the way we're doing it now, it's so compelling. Yeah. And I'm really interested in that. And that's, but yeah. if it, yeah, if it deeply changes and we start causing harm to one another, like we need to talk about that, you know?
0: Yeah. And I would think that that puts a lot less pressure on your marriage to not be like, yeah. we are in an eternally bound covenant to each <laughs> other that God yeah. is using to be missionaries of the world. Like, cause I think that yes. that's like a lot of what, where it's like, You're breaking a missionary bond. Like, women need to come alongside men's mission and, like, you know, have kids and be in the home. And all of that is, like, the kind of image of marriage. And, like, when that gets broken and ruined, like, identities fall apart and all of (laughs) that. I know it's deep. It is deep. But it's not, like, eternal cosmos altering deep. And I think that's what many of us are taught, that, like, having sex before you're married or getting divorced will do is just, like... Well, God's plans for your life and for everyone around you are now just
1: fucked. Like, that's kind of how I think yeah. it plays out. Well, isn't it interesting that, like, we have all this capacity for widows or widowers that, like, now are raising their kid with one parent. their are single family parent homes. But somehow when it's divorce or incarceration or other things that break up the family system, it's somehow like, what's going to happen to the values of this country? And like, what's happening? And like, this community has no values or like, you know, but I'm like, but people also die and kids need to be raised and like accidents happen. And like, we are supposed to be raised and cared for and nurtured by communities. Not by just a nuclear family, yeah. Yeah. and so like when we do everything we can to to expel like rich community from our life, and we're only depending on this tiny nuclear system. Well, yeah, again, a lot more is at stake. Yeah, you know, and so like that's why I'm interested in expanding my, my definition of family, yeah. expanding my definition of good living and happiness, and like caring. Like for myself and those around me, because honestly, the less stringent I've become, you know, I'm 40 now and the the more expansive I have gotten and just made more room in myself and in my spirituality, my life has become a lot more fun and it's not void of pain or trauma, but like, I just, I have a lot of people I can call. Yeah. 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 They're all really different and they all like teach me something different. And they all have different forms of care. And when I think about this baby coming into this community, I think, man, like he, if he deems to be he, like, I am happy with whatever they or he or she or like, however, you know, I'm like, God, give me whatever kind of child Mm -hmm. like you want, because I will love this baby and like, tell them that they are great. Um, But like, they will have so many beautiful different kinds of adults That are modeling like just doing the best they can, you know, and like accepting who they are and like that gets me so excited, you know, like there's not like some narrow definition for this little person coming into the world about you have to fit in this mold because this child, I mean, my partner is white. He could present as white or he could present more brown. He could have more textured hair. We have no idea. We have no idea when he's driving, if he'll be targeted or if he'll be like me when he goes through the airport, he's randomly selected a lot or like, you know, like, I just don't know. But like, I do know that like he has freedom to be exactly whatever he is. And like that, it just gets me so excited. You know, and like it is the benefit to having a child older for, for sure anybody who feels stressed about having babies like you're fine. You can call me if you're feeling stressed, like yeah. you know, um, and also you don't have to have kids to be happy or fulfill your purpose as a woman. Like I had made deep peace with not like birthing my own child and having like I everybody like if you still want a mother and you don't want to have your own baby like you can still mother you can mother. Lots of people and the environment around you like mothering is not just a transactional relationship between you and a baby you have in your belly. Mothering is like it's it's a form of nurturing that we are given that we get to do in whatever capacity we want to do it with, you know, like. I mothered a lot of albums into the world. Like, honestly, you know, I mother a lot of artists when I produce them. And it's not like in a weird mommy kind of way, but like, you get what I'm saying. Like we can, we we get to expand these definitions. And like, that is like, that is so powerful. And like, you know, when we as women start to do this, it also can make some people upset, you know, but they can just go be upset.
0: (laughs) And that is not anybody else's
1: Work to manage.
0: It really isn't. Well, and I'm hearing you like, know? part of what I'm hearing and what you're saying too is that part of the problem with Christian marriage specifically is that because yeah. it so narrows who your people should be, it creates yeah. an isolation that reinforces yeah. the chaos of all of it. And yes. so I think that because kind of as we start to reclaim our theology from sort of patriarchal divorce narratives or concepts the idea of expanding family and like not letting your marriage just be like two people like who are now like walking a journey alone, (laughs) like marching down the street and everyone's like waving in the back being like, good job. You're in love and having (laughs) babies. Like I think that the way that we support and care for each other matters a lot. And so much of what I learned in the church specifically, one was like being single was like this unfortunate byproduct of something, but you know, you can't really control it or, and that like, married people should bring single people into their families. And I'm like, in the pandemic, I have had the exact opposite experience where I'm like, my family friends need people around them to keep them sane, to keep them functional, to yeah. show up for them, to bring them we meals. We all do. And I'm like, I get that yeah. there's like a financial you know, disparity and all of that. But I just think that some of what you're expressing is that part of this reclaiming our theology from patriarchal divorce concepts is the idea of expanding who our network is and This is going to sound like the most crass way to say is not putting all of our like our eggs in one relational basket, because that is so much of what marriage dogma teaches us in the church and makes it so that we are unable to think about divorce because it will cost us everything. And so as we close out, I'm wondering if there's any advice that you would give folks who are in the process of reclaiming their theology from this? Are there any scripture stories,
1: concepts that were helpful for Mm -hmm.
0: you as you started to rebuild this as a person who's been heavily invested in faith systems for a long time?
1: Yeah. I mean, to be so frank, like I've had to separate myself from the Bible for a season and not because I think the Bible's all bad. I would never say that. It's it's full of important, rich, poetic like stories and ideas that have have still still do touch my life. But because the Bible has also been weaponized against people in minority spaces. Um, it does still trigger me a little bit. It doesn't like when you talk about it or when somebody I trust talk about it, because like there's so much context for how we hold it together that it doesn't like offend me by any means. Um, but like, um, so I probably won't point to scripture, um, currently. Um, I will say that like connecting with other people who've been through divorce, um, and who also understand the Christian system, um, was the most powerful resource for me um hearing other people's stories supporting one another like grieving with one another getting angry with one another walking through those journeys um was really uh therapeutic for myself and for them like i still get letters um routinely from people who will say like your divorce record came out and the podcast came out and i I had to avoid it and now i'm actually going through my own divorce And it's been like a real life source for me because like it's just made me feel less alone and like that God doesn't disapprove of like my whole rest of my Mm. life. And like, so I think for me, as far as a perspective, what I would say is like, God doesn't hate divorce. God hates dysfunction and abuse and disconnection. And God desires us to be connected to ourselves, our neighbors and to God. And anything that's, like, tearing us apart from those three things, we need to pay attention to. And so, like, um, if that gives you some freedom, I hope it does. But, like, God loves you. Like, God desires, like, deep connection and fluidity and, like, so that you're not so drained that living the fruit of the Spirit, like, organically. So, like, just emulating generosity and kindness and patience and self-control and joy and all these things it's not hard for those things to flow out of you and like when you're in a situation that's really fatiguing and really traumatic it's really hard to have those things flow out of you you don't need to feel ashamed about it you're exhausted that's understandable but like first how do you get safe how do you get to a spot where you can recover how can you find support with safe people Um, and how can you feel less alienated and I would say like try not to inundate yourself with like messages that like you have to stick it out, yeah. you know, like for some people, like sticking it out, like is their path and like everything is nuanced. So like, I just don't want to broad stroke it, yeah. you know? And like, you know, the last thing I will say is like, you know, my ex-husband like has his journey, but like the truth is like, I, and I know this now compared to the relationship that I'm in now It was a lot harder for me to just organically love him. Like, it's really organic for me to love Lucas. And so, like, to be really fair about part of my part and our dysfunction was that I was muscling through with everything I could to try to be kind, to be loving, to do the right thing, to have sex as often as I should, you know, to all these things. But you just... You can't force something to exist that's not there. And so I did a lot of pretending. And whether he was intuitive to that or not, I do believe people's bodies and energy are highly intuitive, regardless of like how online their mind might be about what's happening. So it must have also been really hard for him to like energetically, intuitively understand that I wasn't like in it in the same way. Yeah, You know what I mean? And so, like, that is, that's part of my path. And, like, I know the difference now. So it is pretty wild. So, like, I'm not going to pretend like I was some perfect wife that was delivering on every level or whatever, you know. <laughs> I did the best I could, but, like, you also just can't force something to be there that's not there. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I don't know if that brings encouragement to people, but, like, if you're feeling stuck, I just want to say I'm so sorry. I just know that feeling. And, like, it doesn't have to be forever yeah. and you do have options and you're not cursed for the rest of your life. If you take those options, divorce was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Yeah, It was really hard and, um, I also support myself. And so I didn't have to go through that. I have a lot of female friends who had to figure out how to support themselves after years of, um, you know, being told they needed to stay home. And so they didn't have years of a career. Um, but there are ways to figure it out. Yeah. So like, but. I don't want to pretend like it's some easy, like you say you get divorced and then your life just opens up and everything works out. Like (laughs) there is, there is loneliness, there is sadness, there is grief, there is rage. There are things to confront. There are things to work through, but like, I have so much more space in my life and in my body now. And like, it was worth every struggle. Yeah.
0: And the thing that I would add, particularly around Bible stuff is that I think that many of us, when we start to have a crisis that's been highly theologically informed, attempt to replace the theological ideas that we've been given with more progressive ones and assume that the ideological exercise will make us free and so i think what happens is that when people are thinking about getting divorced they get like every book they can on divorce they read every article they go to a million webinars or seminars assuming that if their mind changes or if they have like just enough justifying principles to leave that they can and what that ends up doing is it shuts down kind of the psychosomatic stuff that would be happening in your body and makes it so that your brain is trying to do all of the work that your heart is trying to be like, bruh, I'm already yeah. telling you the message. And so I think yeah. that often what happens, the way you can spot this in Christian spaces is if you start to hear theology, and I don't think these theologies are bad. I just think that right. um, I can hear the desperation in them sometimes where people will be like, yeah. well, God gives divorce to protect women. And I'm like, okay, sure. But I actually don't think you need that to no. to leave a situation that is unhealthy or abusive for you. And so I think the justifying narratives that we turn to in order to allow ourselves to be able to get out of situations that are really challenging can't always start theologically. And oftentimes we try to start with theology when what we really need is therapy or like we start with Uh, theology when if we were to just journal every day for 20 minutes, we might actually know what we're hearing because so much of how we're taught to engage with theology in Western evangelicalism specifically, is to shut down yeah. everything in you to try to be objective. And if you do that, the Bible is the only thing you'll have left. And you'll lose the God of the Bible by reading the Bible and assume that God would prefer you dead or miserable to divorced yes. and out of the situation that you're in because of a few interpretations of a few texts that we don't actually know that deeply. And so I want yeah. to give people some freedom to have space to... Yeah. Not start with the textual theological, but to allow your theological imagination to include your body, to let your to learn how to exegete your own life and to engage beyond those things, knowing that God gives words more than just like a sermon or the Bible or a devotional. And our job as people of faith is to figure out how to determine what's nonsense and what's not, because I got a lot of nonsense in my mind that I would, you know, do without some like moral or ethical engagement, but to not to not only believe that that has to start from just like erecting a perfect theology and then that will somehow make the divorce situation make more sense or be better. Cause you might already know and might not need That
1: that piece. So, so rich and so good. Like repeat that minute and listen to it again. If you just heard it, like it's our, uh, Western Christianity has done so much to tell us our flesh and our body is evil and full of bad desire. And that the only thing good in us only comes from God. And I actually don't think that is healthy theology. And so it is a marriage of like our soul and our mind and our body and like all the things that run through us all working together in communal, in community. It brings us back to the community piece, you know, like, so yeah, don't cut off your body. Don't cut off listening to your body. It doesn't mean that like you can never listen to your mind again or that you're not going to have theology again, that you deeply believe in or enjoy, but it's also okay if it's not all happening at once. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's what I'm hearing you say. Like, yes. you know, listen, like, listen to yourself. It's okay. You know, like things will come along. Things will reveal themselves. Most things aren't all revealed in one second, you know? Yeah. So, um, I love, I love what you just said. And yeah, don't disconnect from your body. It's so yeah. important. Yeah.
0: Well, Latifah, thank you so much for your time. I feel conscious of your time. I was like, oh, my God, I just looked at how long we've been talking for. It's been oh, a
1: minute. <laughs> it's been so fun, though. <laughs> I didn't even, I haven't even looked at the clock. That's how much I've been not, into I just, it. I so. just looked. It was like, oh, shoot. Yeah, but I'm that's wondering great. as
0: people are, yeah, as we're heading out, if there's anything you want to plug. Yeah. I know I want people to listen to Divorce, the album. Multi-genre yeah. runs yeah. a lot of different concepts, uh has a lot of really interesting production. I've listened to it a bunch. So I would love for people to listen to that. So I'm going to plug that for you, you, but you can plug it more if you like. But what would you like to plug? Where can people find you? What are you up to?
1: If you are interested specifically in the grieving process of divorce, the, the accompanying podcast is a really good place to start. You know, I haven't listened to it in like five or six years. So like, you know, I can't speak to everything I've said, but I will say I was honest at the time, whatever it was. And like, um, I know it's still um, encouraging people. Um, And then honestly, I'm part of this other podcast called fun parts and it's called the fun parts podcast. And it's about deconstruction, deconstructing sexuality and spirituality. And we talk a lot about purity culture and the body and doing body work and connecting it to our spiritual life. And so if that thread of this conversation is enjoyable for you. Like, there is a lot there for you. We have three seasons out already and we're going to tape the fourth in like three weeks. And it's a conversation with five of us around the table. Um, I'm really proud of that work and I really am grateful for it. And you'll hear me say a lot of other crazy shit. So like um, you might like it. Um, Yeah. And then other than that, like, yeah, you can moda spear is my artist moniker and, and I'm going to be putting out that, that music hopefully in the next year about connecting with rage and connecting with the shadow and, and instead of being afraid of the things that we were taught to be afraid of, what if they were teachers? And um, and I'm really excited about the new music. It's It's been a minute since I put out new songs. So good. I'm so looking forward to yeah. it. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. It was really a pleasure. I feel like I learned a lot. So I liked it. Oh, it's so lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Reclaiming My Theology. If you like what you hear, please follow, rate, review. It helps other people find the show and that's such a gift to us over here on this end. Y'all, we're gonna have some good things coming in the summer, even though we'll be on a little bit of a break, so you can be preparing for that. But we will start Purity Culture, then take a little bit of a break for the summer and come back to dig more into it later. So just know what to expect. Not when you're expecting, but when you're expecting episodes every week. So friends, thank you so much for all the support. We really appreciate you. And we hope that in doing this work, we would do a little bit better together.